Welcome to the Institute's Leading Edge, a show dedicated to helping the automotive aftermarket service industry. Covering topics suggested by you, the listener, we dive into what's important, getting you what you need to succeed. Here's what's coming up. The most difficult thing I have to do is, is probably remembering to tell people when they're doing things right instead of only finding the things that aren't being done properly and trying to fix them. As a fixer, I look for problems and try to fix them. And I just assume that if everybody's doing stuff right 98% of the time, they know they're doing it right. They don't need to be told they're doing it right. So if I point out the 2% of the things they're doing wrong, I'm trying to, in my mind, I'm trying to improve them. In their mind, they're not good enough. And that creates a problem. We need your help. By submitting questions or topics to institute at ifrave.com, we can continue to cover things that are relevant to you. But for now, we've collected a panel of experts to get you serious results. So what are we waiting for? Let's get into it. Welcome to The Leading Edge, episode number 48, titled, It Ain't Easy, The Tough Parts of Management. So today, online with us, we have uh, Kent from the Institute, Kent Buller, um, a little related to me. And uh, we have Bill Greeno, one of my favorite people and, and one, of the, one of the very knowledgeable people about management that I know. And we hope to have Rich DeFrancisco online soon. Uh, not sure where he's at, but we're gonna get the, this ball rolling because these hours seem to go very by extremely quickly. So um, Bill, um, let's start with uh, you, Bill Greeno from uh, Quality Automotive. Yay. Uh, servicing, right? Isn't it Quality Automotive Servicing now? Isn't it Quality it is. One? No, Automotive it is now. Title change. Ah, so, nice. Yeah. Um, all right. All right, Bill. You know, I've stolen some of your management teaching stuff, and and I I, I don't I never claim it as my own. I always say this is Bill Greeno's material. But um, why do you think there's such a such a lack of real management in small business? I think it I think it comes to back to training. You know, when we when we look back at the E myth. We, we see that there's, there's three personalities. We've got technicians, managers, and entrepreneurs. And I think in, in our world, more often than not, we start out as technicians and, and we use our professional skill to take us to a level where we can be an entrepreneur. And in between uh, those things, the, the management piece is lost. And it's lost because just like becoming a, a master technician, time and training are, are needed. And, and we get, we throw ourselves oftentimes or get thrown right into this world of management that we assume to be able to do. And, and what we find is that uh, we, we mistook our, our technical abilities for uh, the ability to manage people. To me, I think, you know, looking at all the businesses that I've worked with over the past I don't know, 20 years now, um, there's such a lack of, of true management from the start. I mean, we have all these guys who, you know, they kind of feel like they're running their business. They're trying to make it work. They're trying to get, you know, money out of the business, get it uh, done when it needs to. 
Um, and, uh, and yet there's so there's such a lack of true, true management. Hey, Rich, we have Rich Francisco with us. Good hey. to see you, brother. Good to have you. Um, I don't know if it's my internet or someone else's, but we're a little bit slow. Um, it's funny too, because we've stepped it up as much as we can. We're talking about leadership and management. I know you know that, Rich. Um, I asked Bill why he thinks there's such a lack of, of management or any true management in small business. And uh, I'll, I'll ask you the same question. What do you, what, why do you think that's true? One of, there's a couple of reasons why I feel that it's true. One of them would be um, lack of experience on the part of the owner or manager of the small business, because usually they are. Usually they do lack any real experience like that. Um, another one would be, um, I think there's a lot of issues in a small business of a, of a, of a feeling of family. Um, the, the people who work there feel more like peers than they feel like subordinates. And you feel more like they're your friend. And you, you, you sometimes will, it'll be on a more personal level, the relationship than it would be in a corporation. And, and that makes it very difficult. To um to talk to somebody in, in that way when you have to when you have to have words or or have a little you know come to a meeting it makes it really difficult when the person is more like a, a friend or a family member or when that relationship is too personal. So should we um should we not have friends? Should we treat it more on a professional? I mean, you know, there's this idea that um let's go have a beer, let's you know, let's get to know each other. And and I think a good manager knows his people, but I think there's some, there's some space between you. There, there almost has to be some space between you. I, I think, I don't know if that's true or not. Kent, what do you think? Um, well, to answer the first question, I think it's just a lot of people assume it's the same job and it's not. Management is a completely different set of skills, different skills. And, and it's everything that you, you know, Bill and, and Rich said that there's a lack of experience in that area. You might fix a, you know how to fix a car, but you don't know how to manage people. You haven't had the experience to do that. As far as this goes, I don't, I don't see an issue with being friends or having this family vibe. It's all about the precedent that you set. There's expectations that you have for yourself, for your staff, uh, for the business itself, for even for your customers, you, you would hold them to a certain kind of accountability there that your customers would act a certain way with your business and how you interact and all that. And it's all based and predicated on that precedent that you set. So yeah, you can have go have a beer and all that, but you know, don't have five or six and make sure that you show up for work on time because that's what I expect of you. And if you can't I, do I, that, then we're going to have, yeah, we'll have a conversation about that as long as. It, yeah. I think that's an interesting perspective. I mean, maybe that's in part why we struggle to hold our customers to a certain standard because we feel more like their family or friends or something, as opposed to being someone who I give a service and they, they give money in return for that service. Bill, what's your perspective on that? Um, so my perspective is I, I, I uh, I'll start with, with, with what Rich said, um, which I, I wholeheartedly agree. He said lack of experience is the first thing. Um, and then, and then the, the human element. Um, management by definition is, is using the tools at your disposal to accomplish the task at hand. 
so if we think of it that way, technicians are perfectly cut out to do it. They need to be taught how to use the tools. And that's where the, the lack of experience comes in. Once you know uh, what the tools are, you need to know where to apply the use of those tools. And I think that comes from having a having a an owner's manual, which looks like a employee manual up front, so that you know when to apply how much force to whatever the issue is. So the that that's the the first piece. The second piece, along the lines of what Kent was saying, um, I think it's there. There is a, a thing called company culture that that falls into place here. And Kent's 100% right. Don't go out and get drunk with your employees on a regular occasion. Don't get drunk on Friday night with your employees at your shop. Um, there's a, my favorite management book out there ever is uh, Leadership Secrets of Attila the Hun. And there's a great section in there on that Leader's Digest size book. And it, it, it basically says what, what Kent said, Attila never got drunk with his generals. He got drunk, but not with his people. With his people, not with his staff. Um, so um, I don't have the experience uh, at this point, but I have a shop and I'm thrown into this position where uh, I want to be successful. What are some of the tools? What's first? Anybody? What do you think? Rich, what do you think's first? The first tool you should use when you're trying to build that relationship. Well, I think I I have a shop. I'm I'm a I'm a tech who one day says I want a shop. I want the money for myself. I want right. you know whatever that is. Right. You you've been through it. Bill's been through it. I've been through it. Kent has not in that sense, but he's been thrown into a management role here for the past six years or so um, with little experience, frankly. So. So now I own the shop and, and frankly, I, I want to, I want to win whatever that is. So what's the first, what's the first tool, right? The first tool that you should do, and it's probably the most difficult tool to do would be to join a peer group. <laughs> um, and it's the most difficult thing to do because the first thing that you do when you get the new place is you start seeing how much things cost. You start seeing, you know, wow, when I was a technician, I made a lot of money and I had a little responsibility. You thought you had a lot of responsibility, but not until you're writing the checks. And <laughs> the idea of, of joining the group, you just see the cost of the group to join or the cost of the consultant to use. And you have to be humble enough to admit, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, especially if you're just a technician. I don't want to say just a technician because it's a big deal, but if you've never worn the other hats in the dealer, if you haven't worked the parts department, if you haven't been a service writer, if you haven't been in tech management or a shop foreman, if you've just been a technician, you don't have a clue what you're about to get into. I, I think that's interesting because you 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 meet these guys that come from other industries. Uh, in fact, I met a couple of them uh, last month. I had a couple different calls from potential guys who want to be shop owners who are from another industry. And you ask them, why are you doing this? And they're like, oh, it, it seems like it's going to be fun. And 
shops make a lot of money. They charge a lot of money. Therefore, they must make a lot of money, right? You know, and they really, they really, you know, they may have some management skills because they were managing people in a corporate situation or something, but they they really don't have the big picture of what all is going to happen and what's going on. Um, uh, Bill, I'm going to ask you, um, I love the idea of joining a group. We run the World Pack Smart Groups um, and uh, Rich is a member. Bill has been a member and a facilitator for that. Um, uh, Rich says join a group. I, I, I agree that that's in there. I don't know if that's my first step or, or my first tool that I want to use, but I think that's really important because I think that that helps me see and learn from other people that have kind of overcome some of the challenges. And it also helps me not feel like, oh my gosh, I'm stuck out here and there's no future. There's nowhere to go. Um, Bill, what's, what, what would you list as, as maybe the top two things that you would want to start with if you're going to manage someone or, or, you know, create this business that you want to be successful? Right. So you've, so you've started the business, you've, you've gone out, you've rented space, uh, generally, if I'm starting from from scratch, um, so you you've become that entrepreneur. You you've already become that, and and maybe you were you were answering the phones and fixing the cars, right? Maybe you started at that level, and it's time it's time to start bringing in staff and employees. And I think uh, I think Rich is 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 on the right track with you know where where do you where do you get the resources that you need to do the next steps, which is what you're asking me, what are the next steps? And, and peer groups or reaching out to people who have done it or, or reaching out to, to any kind of management consultant um, or independent research on your own. And, and I think it goes with the rules of the road. You have, to, you have to have everything, job description written. You have to have all the pieces and parts of the job description written right down to what time what time work starts and what that means just because i provide you with uh laundered garments doesn't mean that you get to get dressed at eight o'clock right people show up at eight o'clock and get dressed no if i don't give you laundered garments you come to work dressed and you still show up at eight or now do you show up at eight fifteen because that's what time you usually started when i gave you laundered garments you can tell i've seen this, this issue here recently so <laughs> isn't it isn't it this interesting? Is kind of, this is the kind of stuff that I argue with my dad on all the time, right? Because he's big well, picture guy. And I'm always like, all right, how, you know, there's there's this and this and this. And he goes, Stop, stop telling me, you know, all these problems. Like they're not problems, but they will be if we don't address them now. What if we told you that you could get quality training and education conveniently and without emptying your pockets? Our gear platform presents great education and resources for automotive shops, courses led by experts inside and outside our industry, a community of like-minded people to engage with, and a resource library at your fingertips. With a monthly membership, you can gain access to every course we have in the library, as well as the multiple courses we add each and every month. With the ability to watch wherever and whenever you'd like, gear provides the training you've been looking for at only $129 a month. For help with improving your business, head to ifrave.com and click on the courses we teach to sign up for a better business and a better life today. You know, when you have the you have the book and you go, look, you know what? Here we go. It's it's right here. I just we just need to talk real quick. See boots on the ground at eight o'clock. So so I have the rules of the road. I have the job description for my staff, and that lets them know what is expected of them 
and expected of me. And within within that document, um, I want to see I want to see performance goals or performance levels built in to whatever it is they're doing. The minimum performance is Monday through Friday, eight to five, fixing cars. Then we take it to the next level. And we talk about we talk about grooming. We talk about uh, behavior. We talk about uh, productivity. We talk about comebacks uh, and all these little um, more intricate pieces. And, and then we as managers have a foundation to begin the really hard work of actually applying the information and being a manager. Because that's, you know, okay. I want to <coughs> approach this a little differently. I'm going to, I'm going to play the devil's advocate because I am the devil. Um, uh, I'm a, I'm a business owner and frankly, I have to do $10,000 this week, or I'm not going to be a business owner. And I don't have, um, job descriptions for every position that I have. I don't have a, an organizational chart for my business. I don't even have a write-up form for an employee that, uh, that misbehaves and I'm afraid to write them up. Because if I'm in certain states, if I misstate something and say something wrong, uh, I'm going to be sued. Um, and I have to yet get $10,000 out of my business this week. You know, do I drop everything to write uh, a job description? Do I, do I, uh, uh, you know, I forget about making money and, and, you know, to put every piece in place before I, before I manage? Um, I, I love... Um, I think there's a balance between, you know, getting the job done and getting all the, the T's dot crossed and the I's dotted uh, within the company. I think if there isn't a balance, I'm screwed. Um, I, ideally, what you want is to have everything prepared before you launch. That's, that would be the perfect scenario there. But right, you've got business I, owners who are struggling. They want to, they, they have to be making money, they have to be producing. Uh, into that, I would say, well, one, quit complaining about it and get it done. And two, the way that you get that done is you get your employees invested in that. I mean, every opportunity you can to have a conversation about this kind of thing uh, on Monday, great, Mondays are great. Have a team meeting before the company opens and talk about, hey, I would like to start developing an employee manual. I wanna keep things more standardized and I want your involvement in developing these things, which one gives your employees ownership of that, uh, which means it'll be a lot easier to hold them to that because they help develop that. And two, you don't have to do all of the work yourself, right? So if you've got a service advisor and you want him to write up some of the processes that they manage, then have them do that. Have them write them up in some of their free time in between uh, calls and with, with customers. And then you can review that later and go, well, I like that. I don't like that. And you revise it. And then you bring it back to the meeting and say, hey, is this something we can all agree on? And then you I just develop I, as you I, go. I get it. I mean, certainly as a consultant, you know, we come into a company and the company, you know, they're doing okay. They got some money. They're not going broke, um, but they're, they're, they're nowhere near what's possible for their business. And they're missing two thirds of the pieces because in an ideal world, um, I wouldn't even open a business unless I understood it financially. I had done projections. 
I had a manual already. I, uh, I had probably a good percentage of the processes in my company to find. The only problem is I don't know of a single shop owner that did that, that started there. Um, I, I've never seen a shop owner that, that opened their business with all the pieces or even half the pieces in place. Um, Bill, you know, I, I know I need this stuff. Um, how, I don't know. How, how do you balance the, the time needed the, the, to, to make your business, you know, to pay your bills and, and also create this ideal that you want out of your company? Well, you know, what comes to mind first is the video that you showed me years ago with, uh, and I forget the guy's name, uh, do it and do it do and it. do it and do it. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, child above. Just do it. No, no, no. The, the older guy, he's, uh, he was a, uh, high school dropout and, and, uh, yeah, I know which one it is. It's, uh, yeah, multi-million dollar guy. And he just yeah. literally says it like 27,000 times through the whole video. Do it and do it. <laughs> and you do it. And you do it. That's what you do. And so so for me, and I think I think uh, Rich would back me on this one, We, you have to understand first, it's all about the machine. It's all about the money-making machine. We've got to make money. We've got to print dollar bills. And so I'm going to focus at the at the expense of my company culture at the expense of everything, I'm going to make money first because without margin, there's no mission, right? That's, that's uh, uh, Stephen Covey. And, and so first we make money. And if I have to piss people off, if I have to walk on people, if I have to break a few eggs, I'm going to make an omelet by God. And, and so that's the first thing. And, and if I, if I do it well, then everybody around me is going to be happy enough because if I'm making money, they're making money. And, and then frankly, if it's me and the money's coming in and I'm able to stand there and run the, the crank myself, I'm going to, I'm going to call up somebody else and say, Hey, I need, I need an employee manual and I need some, I need, you know, I need There's, all the stuff that's going to make me legal and everything that, that my employees need. And they may need to be interviewed by you to figure out what it is. And I'm going to pay somebody else to do it. And I'm going to keep making money. And I love the, um, the picture of the machine, because in my mind, that's what business is. It's just a car. It's just a and, and, and hopefully it's not a, a you know, a, a gremlin. You know, hopefully it's a, a Lamborghini or, you know, something that can really crank it out. Um, but and I I agree with you a thousand percent. Um, I think what gets missed, though, is that we keep we keep at it and we don't put the pieces in play. So, you know, I've got an engine where the the, the timing's off. Um the fuel is a little, it's running a little rich. Um, the, the, it goes down the road, but it struggles to go down the road. What am I going to do? You know, if I'm a, if I'm a technician, uh, I'm going to fix the timing. If I have to pull the whole engine apart, 
to replace whatever that component is that's going to make that timing right, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to fix the, the fuel system to deliver the right amount of fuel at the right time in the right way. Um, and it's funny that as techs, we understand that on a vehicle stance, but as business owners, we don't, we have a, we, we really struggle to understand that on a business sense, right? Um, people ask me all the time, but Cecil, I'm already working 12 hours a day, just trying to survive here. And you want me to create an org chart, you know, you want me to, to, um, you know, develop an employee manual or, or take one that we already have in our files and, and apply that to my business. Uh, I don't have time to do that. Uh, um, Rich, delegate. What do you say to these guys? Delegate. Well, you know, that's well and good, but delegation is management. I don't, I don't understand how to do that. You know, uh, holding people accountable. What are the hard parts about management? Uh, Bill, what's the hardest thing for you when it comes to managing other people? For me, it's, it's knowing when and where to apply the pressure. Uh, it's, and how it's much? Easy. Yeah, you, it, it's easy to be the guy who ignores everything until it blows up in your face. And it's also easy to be the guy who says, I'll never ignore anything. I'm going to say everything. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to push on every bruise that, that pops cool. up. Right. That's it's where to apply the pressure. Um, uh, uh, Rich, what's your most difficult thing that you have to do as a manager? The most difficult thing I have to do is, is probably remembering to tell people when they're doing things right instead of only finding the things that aren't being done properly and trying to fix them. As a fixer, I look for problems and try to fix them. And I just assume that if everybody's doing stuff right 98% of the time, they know they're doing it right. They don't need to be told they're doing it right. So if I point out the 2% of the things they're doing wrong, I'm trying to, in my mind, I'm trying to improve them. In their mind, they're not good enough. And that creates a problem. My, my dad was, was funny um, because he would always say, they get a paycheck, don't they? Um, yeah. like, that was the, like that was the ultimate reward was that, that the fact that they got paid and that made up for everything else that went on, um, which I, I never understood that because I don't think that people, when you have a good culture in your company, really work for a paycheck. Um, you know, uh, Kent, what's the most difficult thing for you? Uh, when it comes to to managing uh, to management, I think, and not just me, I think a lot of people struggle with this uh, is dealing with the ambiguity. So a lot of the positions that I manage, like the people that I manage, I've never done. I, I've I've never been an expert in there in that area, and I could see a shop owner. You know, he was a technician, but he was never a service advisor, and you have to sell work. So it's a different, you know. So managing a job that you're not an expert in. There's some ambiguity there. What are the standards? What are the what what are what are my expectations for them? What are my performance goals for them? Um, and managing that ambiguity, I think, is my challenge, my personal challenge, because I I am I am somebody who likes to have all the you know eyes dotted, all the T's crossed, and all that. So, um, and then trying to hold them to that that ambiguous standard. You know how how much should uh, 
how many pages should we be getting done or, or scripting getting done on our website? At what point? Uh, how many videos should be done by a certain time with our media department? That kind of thing. Um, and so I, I spend time trying to learn at least enough about that position that I can kind of gauge what performances should be there. Uh, but that's my job, right? I sh- I'm the manager. I should know how to manage. So that's where I try to spend most the, the majority but of the time. Just because I'm supposed to know doesn't mean I know. Um, frankly, I, I think I'm a great manager. Um, when I ran shops, I, I was fantastic at it. Uh, I could get people to perform at a, at a very high level. When I work with shop owners, I'm, I'm pretty damn good at getting them to perform at a high level. Um, but running my own company, it, it, it is such a struggle between pay the bills and make sure that there's enough money and cash flow so that I feel comfortable and get all the T's crossed and the I's dotted. For me, the most, it's so interesting. For me, the most, the most difficult thing is making the decision to put the hammer down on somebody uh, in, in the company. It, to me, that's like the hardest thing because you, you keep hoping and hoping that they're going to get it, uh, perform, pull out of whatever funk they're in. Um, and yet they don't. Um, and, 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 you know, I like them. Uh, uh, I haven't got drunk with them cause I don't drink. And even if I did, I probably wouldn't, but I've had dinner with them. I've had lunch with them. I've got to know them. I, I know their families. Um, and, and they're really, they're not bad people. They're just not doing their job. And, and, and there's a point where it's kind of like, I don't think they're going to do their job. Um, for me, that's the most difficult thing. I, I want to shift us. I want to shift a little here because I think I think we're. I think it's important that people understand that even though we are good managers running good companies, it's there's still struggles for us, right? It's not. There's no cake in this. It's not simple. Um, it is difficult. It is complicated. It is hard to know you know, when to put the pressure on. And if I've never done the position, it's a struggle to try to hold somebody accountable in that position. But I think there's some steps to kind of understanding your business and, and, and at least creating uh, bill. You said um, to get the task done or the job done uh, using the resources. Uh, my, my definition is to achieve the goals of the company using the, the resources of the company, uh, the people, the, the equipment, the, you know, whatever, the marketing, the, the, the bits and pieces that we have. And the task is a complicated task. Make, uh, make the profit I need and keep the customers happy all at the same time and keep the employees happy all at the same time. Every, the, the cogs all have to fit in. Don't you think it's really important to have a vision of what your company can be or should be. For me, one of the for me one of the keys is to look at the business in a financial way. That's kind of almost always where I start. You know, I've got four technicians. Our our hourly labor rate is 130. Um, you know, our parts of labor ratio is 45 percent to 55 percent. This company should do a million seven, and it's doing a million one. Right. Do, do, do you do you guys, Rich? I mean, you know, we, we go through the numbers monthly and we have that 
you know, how come your labor rate's not good enough? Or how come, you know, again, I'm pointing out the 2% thinking I'm making you better instead of the, the other 98% of stuff that's going pretty dang well. Um, so do you really think that you feel like you understand your business and does that play a, a large part in how you manage or where you push or what happens? Definitely understanding it a lot more than, than I ever did before. Um, the, one of the, one of the things that I'm trying to do as, you know, as it continues on to try to make the transition smoother is to, um, to have a little more one-on-one -on -one time, which with each individual team member, one of the things I try to tell them is where my weaknesses are and what mistakes I have made. And, um, you know, I've got one guy that, um, that's really, really good, very good, very talented that makes mistakes every once in a while. He has yet to do anything that I haven't done myself, but, um, but, you know, try, trying to get him to, to bring it in and, the, and to share the vision of, and it's one of the visions that we've all discussed together. You know, if, if, if we are the best and going to be the best and going to be portrayed as the best and want people to see when they come in to see us as the best, you have to know that you're the best to start with yourself. There's a ton of different advisor training options in the industry, making the choice that much harder to make. Some shove too much into too little of a time frame, they can be inconvenient and costly, or they're just filled with unhelpful, non-applicable information. So how are you supposed to create confident and capable service advisors? The Advisor Mastery Program from the Institute is the industry's leading service advisor training, now almost entirely online. With one-on-one -on -one coaching, KPI tracking, live community trainings, a resource library, and more, there's no wonder why advisors who finish the program have seen their efforts rewarded with more confidence, higher arrows, and better sales. If you're ready to stop settling for mediocre and start ruling the counter, join the Advisor Mastery Program today. Head to ifrave.com and register now. We'll see you in class. I, I wonder in our industry if we, I don't know, my, my, my dad, and, and you guys know the story, I'm, I'm more telling it for the audience than for the people I have on, but my dad, you know, he, he dropped out of school when he was 12 and a half, pretty much. I mean, he got a, he got a diploma from high school, but he struggled. Uh, he was either very dyslexic or never really learned how to write. Uh, he struggled. Now he wasn't uh, illiterate. He could read and he could write stuff, but it wasn't, it wasn't easy for him. And he never felt like, I think, I think that we take for granted the skills that we have because they're easy for us and we don't see value in that. And I don't think my dad ever saw value in the fact that he was one of the best techs that ever walked the earth and, and could really figure out just about anything on a car. Um, and didn't see value in that. Uh, he saw value in the doctor. You know, he saw value in the lawyer. He saw value in his dentist, but he never saw that kind of value in himself. Do we, does, does our industry struggle in that, in that sense? Bill? I don't feel they struggle as much as they used to. I, I, I definitely feel like there's, with, with the push for higher education and, and with now a master's is what a high school diploma used to be. And, and or, or, I'm sorry, with, with a bachelor being with a high school diploma, and you have to have a master's for getting a job. And when I've got people with bachelor degrees that are running the floor machine. And um, I think that that's, that's turning around a little bit, especially in the pandemic that we've just gone through where essential workers tended to be people who could make do with what they had. 
and we were the ones that were still out there in the field because we were the ones we were the ones who were greasing the wheels to make things happen instead of the you know some of the I don't want to say paper pushers, but um, you know a, a lot of the what are considered professional or prestigious jobs, like like our dads would, doctor, lawyer, physicist, um, those kind of jobs were considered high, you know, of a, a, a higher mentality and a, you know better for the world, so to speak. And um, so I really feel that the that the world has changed, and that those of us who are hands on and who are smaller in the, in the big cog of things are the ones that are making things happen. I think hey, it, to, me, to me, I love, I love Mike Rowe and, and what he's oh, yeah. right now, because, you know, I don't, I have a couple of college degrees. That's not a big deal. I, the stuff I learned, I did not learn sitting in a classroom in college. The stuff that makes me good at what I do, I learned by, struggle. I learned by doing it. I learned from other people that, that, that knew how to do it or that did it. I learned in groups. I learned in, in classes that, that had nothing to do with college. Um, and, and to me, I've already got two master's degrees in, in running a, a, a shop um, because I've, I've, I've done it and I've done it successfully multiple times and I've helped clients do it successfully multiple times. Um, uh, uh, Bill, I want to I want a framework here that I'd like to to try to maybe create a little bit for uh, a potential shop owner out there that's in he's in it his second or third year he's got a couple of employees he's finding things um, or she uh, starting to kind of um, I can't I can't gather it all together and hold it all together um, give me a framework give me some some one two threes for that. Okay. Uh, so, so back to uh, what you said earlier about an organizational chart. I think that when you say framework, that's the first thing that comes to mind, right? I've got, I've got me at the top, right? He's pulling out then, his chart. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then all the other players, are here, you know, say I've got three employees, two technicians and a service advisor, right? And the service advisor is responsible for opening the shop in the morning, this, that, this, that, customer service. Selling 10,000 this week, yep. keeping customers and happy. Technicians, and, and, and maybe actually the, the service advisor goes here and the technicians need to go through the service advisor to get to me. And, and, and if you do nothing else, do that. If I was to take it to the next level, okay, that's 1.0. That's that's the first thing you do. The next thing you need to do is come up with your vision, which is the next thing you said. And I've done the vision thing. I've taught the I've taught the eight-hour class. I've taught the four-hour class. I've been doing it for the better part of 30 years with, with various organizations. And whether you come up with it yourself as the leader or, or come up with it uh, with your wife, husband, with your group, with your team, it doesn't matter, have a vision. And the reason you need to have a vision is for efficiency. If you have a vision, you always know where to couch every conversation from. If your vision is to- is if to people understand who we are and who we wanna be, yep. they, know, they exactly. then know what to do and how to make a decision. Yeah, your, your, your trusted local auto care right. was us for years. Uh, we have a slogan now, we'll go the distance. 
I can use those words every time I talk with staff, either with a pat on the back or a, or a stick in the back, you know? Um, but, but I have to be consistent with my vision. I can't, I can't say I'm the trusted, honest auto care and then, you know, try to sell junk parts on the car so I make more money. Right. Right. And, uh, and, go ahead. Uh, and I even ran into that inconsistency when I wanted to be your trusted local auto care and I was quality automotive and smog. And, and I had, the, there was this dichotomy that I, I was still bringing the wrong customers through the door. And now that I'm quality automotive servicing, I can be that even more. And I've given up that as my, as my vision statement. Um, but the point is, is have a vision statement. Absolutely. 100%. Um, and, and the point of all this is that as small business owners, what I wrote down here is efficiency. We have to be efficient. We don't have time to waste. And an article I was writing the other day, um, I wrote that the, the, the most important piece of leadership is the ability to speak and be, and, and be understood. We, we so often aren't understood. And there's a variety of reasons for that that have to do with ourselves as well as our staff. The number one most important thing is to, is to be understood. If you tell someone to do something and they don't do it because they didn't understand, that's inefficient. You've got you've to back up. Um, and the second piece of that is I want to be able to inspire the righteous employee and intimidate the unrighteous employee with the exact same statement. I want to be that efficient. I want to be able to walk into a meeting and say, Bill, hey guys, can, Bill, can you say that again? I want to write that down. I want to be able to inspire the righteous and intimidate the unrighteous with the exact same statement. And I want to understand when I do that. So an people, example, go ahead. Be, an example would be um, if I have people who are, who are kicking ass and they show up early every day and they're ready to go at eight o'clock. And then I've got, a guy who's showing up at eight o'clock and is ready to go at eight fifteen. I guarantee you, the other guys are bothered by that. And so, just by the simple thing of saying at a meeting, "Hey guys, we show up at eight o'clock." Excuse me. We start work at eight o'clock, which means we show up whenever it takes to be ready to go to work at eight o'clock. We knock off at five o'clock. Walk out change, go home, whatever it is. Just by saying that, I've intimidated the guy who's late. He's feeling guilty. He's feeling like I'm picking on him. The other guys are feeling inspired. They're feeling like, wow, this, you know, this is our leader. And he said what needed to be said, right? I don't even have to go into it. And that's the part where I have problems, as you can see here, is I think I'm a pretty good communicator, so I never stop. But you have to, you have to, you have to act in concert with that. So if the guy keeps showing up late, I mean, just saying it in a meeting is important. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to not say it, but that guy needs to be in your office having a conversation about how he's going to get his ass to work on time. Because if your other employees don't see you doing that, and I mean, they're not, I'm not doing it out in public. I mean, I'm calling him in my office. We're going to have a quiet meeting together. No one else is going to see it but they know, they know, right? Um, and if I don't do that, if I don't act in, what's that? That's what those meetings are for. Those meetings are for the, the, the lowest level of 
of inserting yourself into a situation, right? That's the lowest level. The next level is meeting in the office. The next level is written. Right. right. It's all a process. And, and that, that would take us to one of my other um, questions or concepts here. Uh, it's difficult to discipline, but discipline is necessary. And I have a thing that I call, um, uh, what do I call it? See, that's what happens gray hair. Um, it just goes right out of your head. Um, uh, not graduated discipline, but um, uh, uh, varying levels of con- levels of consequence, right? So uh, yeah, it's some kind of a tiered uh, level of discipline. The first is we mentioned it in a meeting, you know, well, the first is when I hire you, we discuss all of that because I have a, I have a job description and a manual that defines that. And you read it and we talk about it. So that's the, that's the first level, right? Um, then if we have a problem, I certainly probably mention it in a meeting more than once because it's just part of my, okay, guys, man, it's really great. You're all showing up on time. You're all ready to work at eight. Thank you so much, right? Um, or, or, hey, guys, I just want to clarify um, that here's our starting time and here's how this works, Right. And then I call that individual into my office and shut the door and we have a conversation about how we're going to get to work. We, and and in, a, in a management sense, I'm not just saying you have to get to work, but I'm trying to find out why they're not getting to work and what's it going to take to motivate them to be to work on time and ready to go. It's more than you have to be here at eight o'clock uh, ready to work. Or is it? What do you think? Somebody. Help me out here. Kent, do I do, do I do I do this? Do I just say you have to be here at eight o'clock or is there more to it? Uh it it depends on how you set it up. I always with with all of this, I always go back to what's the precedent that you set? What's what's our process? Because if it's it's detailed, it's it's refined and you understand not- how okay. So start doing that. And, and it's simple as, as how Bill put it. You start with a simple org chart. In fact, I wrote one on my piece of paper right now while we were having a conversation. You could do that in a meeting. You start with, here's the big picture. Then you can take each section and kind of, you know, start to be more specific. What does this have to do? What does it have to accomplish? What's the standards here? And you start to define those things. It's going to be a million times harder to hold people accountable, to hold you know, to even even discipline if there isn't some standard set that's in writing uh, that you reiterate in your meetings, that you re- reiterate in your culture, that you reiterate in your processes, that when you go to try to discipline someone because they're not showing up on time, they go, well, I don't know. I, you know, I slept in this morning. My alarm didn't go off. So I got here at 815. I'm ready to work. But if it's in a manual that say that states, you know, we're here at eight boots on the ground, ready to work, then that is an expectation right from the get-go. And that once you have that in place, you can then follow up with, well, hey, you know, you didn't do this. You've, you've shown up late three times in a row. I'm going to have to write you up, which you're going to go to tier two. If you do this again, then we're going to have a conversation in my office about whether or not you want to work here. And number three is going to be that you, you might be terminated. And that should all be written down so that there's some kind of a policy on on how you would hold them accountable. 
Stop wasting your time trying to find a magic bullet. There isn't one. However, our Keys to Automotive Business Success teaches the foundations of a successful automotive shop and gets you started on the right path, which is pretty close. You'll learn how to set actionable and achievable goals, understand your financial model, and how to communicate more effectively with your team. This course was designed to jumpstart your results, not waste your time. Take the class today and you'll learn how to start creating the business and life you want. Visit ifrave.com to register for the class at only $49 and available to take wherever and whenever you'd like. It's what every shop owner needs to kickstart their business into success. I think I, I, I love what Bill said. Um, uh, and I can't, I'll, I'll screw it up completely, but you know, um, the ability to communicate is, is super important. And, and the problem that I have is that I think I'm communicating, but obviously I'm not because people aren't doing what I want them to do. Right. So, so what, where, where am I going wrong? What, what am I, when I say be here at eight o'clock in your uniform, ready to work and, and, and you hear uh, show up at eight, change, get a cup of coffee. It's the, it's this, so there's, there's a, a thing that teachers do elementary school teachers do where they kind of talk about a process and they have a, a bag of bread, sliced bread. They've got a jar of peanut butter and they have a jar of jam and they have a knife. And they ask the kids, hey, tell me what to do to make a sandwich, right? The kids are going to go, oh, you need to put the peanut butter on the bread. So they'll take the jar and put it on the thing of bread. And you start to realize, oh, I need to be a little more specific. If you're not getting what you want out of what you've, you've kind of written up, then maybe you weren't clear enough or maybe you weren't precise enough and you need to start defining further standards. You know, be here at eight means that we are working in our, our workflow at eight o'clock, which means whatever you've got to do beforehand to be ready to go at eight has to happen. But, and what would you say, Bill, you, the, your term, your term for that is boots on the ground at eight, meaning you're, you're ready, you're clean, you're in your clothing, you have all the tools you need and you're good to go to start answering phone calls or talking to customers at eight o'clock. But when I that say very well-defined, but when I say be here at eight, ready to work, people should have common sense. They should know exactly what I mean when I say that. Rich, Sarah, Rich, <laughs> good now they should. Okay. This is the, I think my, de the, my definition of clean is very different from my wife's definition of clean. And she's kind of had to deal with that. I'm a very clean, tidy person. And so when I say clean, I mean it in this way. And so we've, I've even taught my kids how they should be, you know, sweeping the floors, why they need to do it a certain way and what the process is and define that for them. Right. Just, be, I, I can't assume that they know how to sweep the floor. I have to show them so that they kind of understand, oh, that's what you mean. It's like, uh, but, but these are grown men and women. They're supposed to know what to do. That's why I hired them. You're a, you're a service advisor. You're supposed to know what to there do. Was, so, so we did a class, the whole company did a class. <laughs> <laughs> the whole company did a class and something that I absolutely love. They, they brought up in this class and they said, it's the burden of knowledge, right? So in my, in my class, I talk about, I use tic-tac-toe as, as an inference right here. You know, everybody knows how to play tic-tac-toe, uh, but then you start playing a game with someone and you, you kind of go, oh, you can't put that there, right? The circle doesn't go there. And you go, well, why not? That's how tic-tac-toe is played. And you go, well, in my tic-tac-toe, this is what we play. It's like, it's like playing Uno. 
right? I, I go and play Uno with, you know, my wife's family and they have completely different rules to play Uno than I did. And that's kind of a common thing. If you ask anybody how to play Uno, there's different rules for every single person and they can't agree on what the rules are. And, and it's just this, this assumed knowledge. I know how to do that. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm going to make sure you know how we do it. And I do that through my processes, through my write-up, through my, you know, so, so business-wise, I'm an, I'm an owner who's a tech, and I hire a tech. That's usually the first thing. I hire another tech, and I'm going to write some service because I've already been writing it, and uh, I'm going to have somebody else do the work, except they don't do the work the way that I do the work. They don't. So um, I used to argue with my dad that, that my, my best example is um, my dad showed me how to change a radiator out the first time that I had to replace a radiator. And he crawled under the car on a on a um, creeper, uh, took a pan and a pair of pliers, and he undid the pitcock on the radiator. And then he took the cap off. And, and then he said, okay, we're going to wait for 20, 25 minutes until it stops dripping. And then we can do the next step. And, and so that's how I learned the first steps to pull the radiator out of the car. And of course he told me, you know, be careful because it could be hot and there could be pressure and all of that. But later uh, as a flat rate technician, um, he caught me, you know, sliding the pan under there and pulling off the lower hose. And, uh, and he, he, he literally freaked out. What are you doing? You can't do it that way. You know, you get cooling on the ground. You, you, it's not the way you do this. And I asked him, are you, are you, am I going to put a new radiator in this car? Is it going to not leak? Is it going to work the way it's supposed to work? And if that's, if the result is the right result, does it matter exactly how I get to the right result? And, and my argument is, if I have a more efficient way to do that, and I still get the exact result, shouldn't you allow me to do the more efficient thing? And I think owners have this struggle with that with their employees. You're not doing it exactly how I would do it. And, and, then, and then they start picking on the employee in a sense of they point out every little thing they do wrong all day long that isn't exactly how I would do the job. As a, as a manager, isn't there some flexibility as long as the right result is, is, is done? Uh, Bill, it may I have to be you. something you train yourself to do. A lot of us, especially the ones who came up as technicians, not as businessmen, one of the reasons why we are technicians to start with is because we didn't play well with the other children. Hmm. And we didn't share our stuff very well. And we didn't like people in our part of the sandbox. And um, it's something we absolutely have to train ourselves to deal with is that um, working in that way, you have to naturally take some sort of artistic interpretation in what you're doing. And artists paint things different ways and get the same end result painting. And I may think my way is better. It doesn't mean my way is the only way. And it doesn't mean that their way is not better but it's really, really difficult. And it's something you have to stop and step back and, and take a breather and look at sometimes. And as an owner, it's a very difficult thing to do. You know, kind of like throwing somebody out there and teaching them how to swim by drowning. I mean, it's, so, just, it's, so it's I, almost, it's an ego thing, I would say, because you've got this knowledge, you're the experienced one and you did it this way. 
and them doing it a different way saying, Hey, this might be better. I feel a lot of, if it, if it was strictly logical, you go, Hey, you did it in, in less time. It, it kept the same standard, same quality and had the same result. I don't, I don't care that much because you did it. But I think a lot of the times people get really uh, self-conscious about that and think, well, because they did it differently, then maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. And they take it personally in that way. I feel like that's most of the resistance that, that they come up with. I feel like I need to make a statement for lack of time. Um, I have a, I have a vision and a plan. I have goals. I believe I know what the positions in my company need to do. Um, and I would say, I believe, cause, cause frankly, I don't know everything. And maybe if I hired you to do this job, you might know some things about that job specifically more than I do. Um, I have a, a way that I want things done within my company. You will do it my way first because I know my way is successful. And then if you have a better way, you can show me. And if you can prove to me that it's better, that will become the new way for the company. But I can't just, I can't not have the plan. Um, I can't just give somebody a, a car and say, put the brakes on even if they're a 27 year veteran of the industry, I don't know how they do breaks uh, because I didn't teach them. And I don't know if it's up to my standard and my customer's standard. And so at the very least, somebody who understands that needs to pay attention the first couple of times they do breaks to make sure that that, that level of quality is the way I need that level of quality to be. Does that, does that make sense? Yes. Okay, and that takes some organization. You can't, you cannot ultimately be successful by just going out and doing and doing and doing without planning. Bill, you're the guy that says planning is a function of, of leadership. Um, at least I've heard you say that more than once, and I've repeated it based on I believe it. Um, how much planning do I have to do? As much as it takes. Prior planning and practice prevents piss poor performance, right? The seven P's. <laughs> <laughs> you have to, you have to plan. You have to have your your little mini visions. We call them goals, right? You have to have your you have to have your your understanding of where all the players fit on the on the pitch, on the field, on the you know as a, as a team, what their roles are. And, and I love that. To, I love that example, Bill. Um, you know, in baseball, that's what I played when I was a kid. We started out in the, not T-ball, we didn't have it back then, but we started out. And you you knew what the center fielder's job was. You knew where they played. You know when they went out. You know when they went to bat. Um, you know, you, you literally knew what the pitcher's job was. You knew what the catcher's job was. Um, we get it in terms of sports, but we don't design our, our companies like a team that's got to, you know, play and perform at a certain level to, to get what we need or want. Right. And, and tell me what, how did it feel to you if you're playing second base and the person behind you came up and pushed you out of the way to catch the ball every time it was coming towards you? And that's not, not even as bad as the guy who's <laughs> yeah. called the manager, right? Where does the manager sit? Not in the, not on the field. In the in dugout. The dugout. Yeah. Not on the field. Now, what if the manager goes out on the field and pushes you out of the way to catch that ball? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a great example. Uh, Gal, you know, we need to cover this more and we don't have the time. Uh, we, did not, we did not touch the surface of this. Um, so I wanna do another one of these. Um, I don't know if you guys are available next Wednesday. We may shift and, and do this again next Wednesday if you're available. Um, because we're, we're literally on the edge of this and I don't think we've, we've covered it completely. Uh, and I, by the way, we could probably do 10 of these and never cover it completely. Um, in, in, in as few words as possible, not like I would say it, um, can't get, give the person out there who's struggling with managing and holding people accountable um, a piece of advice. Uh, don't do the work yourself. I'll do everything set, for my employees set, except for their job. Except for their jobs. You need to set the precedent, set the standard, work with your employees, and let them be the machine. You shouldn't be doing the work. You should be managing the work. Okay. Um, uh, Rich. Talk with somebody who's already been there and see what they've done to see if there's a piece of it you could take or if you want to do it a different way. But talk to somebody who has the experience. Who's got it done. Who knows how to do yes. it. Okay. Uh, Bill? Yeah, I, I was going along those same lines is get the training. One of the things I love about you, Bill, is that every year you spend a couple of days and you bring somebody in who's not you. And frankly, I think you have a very high skill level in managing and leading your team. And I think you could probably run that meeting. Why don't you? Why do you bring outsiders in to, to do this? Uh, I, I have run those meetings and it's been, and it's been effective. Um, but I bring in outsiders because I, I want my own personal development as well. And I present enough in the world outside of my shop for that level of development. But when I bring Cecil Bullard in, as I have for a day for, for a group of meetings, eight hours, uh, Cecil is able to, uh, educate and hold me accountable as well as my staff. For that matter, I could bring, it would, it would be super fun to bring Rich DeFrancisco in and have him facilitate an all day meeting with my staff or any, or any one of these shop owners who know how to do it. And it would probably be great practice for them too, to come into a shop green and cold and, and, and say, hey, we're having a shop meeting today. I need to know what the issues are. I need to know where you guys succeed and where you fail. Ready, set, go, raise your hand. It would be, that would be fun. Maybe we should do that in our groups. Maybe we should, uh, that would be an interesting, um, that would be really interesting. Thank you, Bill. We're going to do that. <laughs> um, I think that's fantastic, frankly, because you always learn when you're teaching, you, you seem to learn more, right? When you, oh, yeah. when you have to organize the structure and you have to, it, it, it just goes better. Um, I'm going to say one little thing and then we'll, we'll thank everybody. Um, I think I have to understand my business. And if I don't truly understand it, I need somebody that can help me understand it. And I think that's a financial picture as well as who plays what roles. And, and, and so how does, the, how does the catcher, what is his job? How's, what's the job of the pitcher? Uh, you know, what's the job of my service advisor? What's the job of my technician? What is a clear expectation? Um, I think all of us struggle in the discipline area, but I think discipline is absolutely necessary. And I think we often do that wrong and maybe we'll cover that in the next Leading Edge. 
Um, I don't know if you guys have your calendars in front of you, but send me an email. Let me know if you can uh, do this one more time next week. I'd love to cover this further. Um, uh, thank you, Kent. Uh, Kent manages the, the day-to-day here in the offices, and, and he is really good at, at it. And, and of course, he always wants all the, all the pieces in play, which I don't. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just go, go, go. Um, there's the, that balance. Bill, one of the best managers um, I know, and I've learned a lot from you. Thank you so much, Bill. And Rich, um, you guys have the, one of the most amazing businesses. You've been extremely successful, and it's a, a privilege to know you. Uh, thank, thank you for, uh, uh, for being here. Um, and uh, everybody stay healthy and uh, open the economy up, go back to work, and uh, go spend some money in your local community so that uh, uh, they also don't starve to death. Take care. Thanks, guys. That's it for this one. This episode was brought to you by GearForShops.com and The Institute. To find more episodes or for more information about the services we provide, visit iForAbe.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next one.